but it's good to be with you. Okay, uh, yeah, Philip, uh, what a great guy in um, Acts chapter 8. Let's start there. So take your Bibles. Uh, maybe it's on your phone. Maybe it's in your head. This right here, this also is a Bible. It's, it's got paper and it's got a leather cover. Um, and uh, we'll start in Acts chapter 8, the, the 26th verse, and talk a little bit about Philip and... Um, and how Philip is a person who helps us understand how to manage life's interruptions and flow in the freedom and the wind of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 8, we get a little insight into Philip. And in the 26th verse, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I imagine Philip might have said, God, I had not planned to go south on a desert road, a lonely place in the wilderness. This is not the story that I thought you'd plan for me. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. It wasn't necessarily her name. It was a title for the mother queen of the Ethiopians. Now, this man, this eunuch, he had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. Now, he was not Jewish. He was a God-fearer. He was a seeker of the way. He'd been somehow, as an Ethiopian, attracted to the God of Israel and to the kind of life that is invited when you follow that God. And so he went to Jerusalem to seek that God. And on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I think life could be characterized as a series of interruptions. We're going one way, and all of a sudden there's a roadblock. There's a detour. There's something that says, no, I want you to, I want you to stop going the way you were going, and now you're going to go a different direction. And the interruptions of life can make us better, or they can make us bitter. The interruptions come along, stop us in our tracks, and we have the opportunity at that moment to get better in life. But I'm telling you, it's really easy to end up getting bitter with the stuff that happens. I would surmise that uh, you, me, we all, we might be Philip. We, we, we can probably... Uh, find our story in the story of Philip. And I invite you to do that this morning. It's why I picked him, because I resonate so much with his life. We don't know that much about Philip. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't focus on him very much, but he's a very significant and helpful character for us in this season of life that we're in right now. So I'd like you to think, even right now, what, what have been some of the significant interruptions in your life 
some of the things in your life that have forced you to change course and direction. And I'll bet you could come up with one or two or three that were not necessarily invited, that were not anticipated, not expected, but they came your way. They invaded your life. And it required you to make a choice. Am I going to get better? Am I going to get better? So I've told this story a lot, and you, my friends, you know this story that I lost my dear wife, Cynthia, October 18, 2020. We'd been married 37 years. She had a five-year really hard battle with cancer. And as soon as Cynthia took her last breath, the country was shut down. And we were told, um, don't go to your friend's house. Don't touch anyone. Don't hug anyone. Stay in your house. And I'd lost my best friend. And now the country was shut. And I am so thankful for so many of you that said, heck no, we're not doing that. We're going to Bill's house. And you found a way. You found a way to care. And it really, really made such a difference. But it was an interruption. It was a really significant interruption in my life. And then the pandemic on top of that. To be alone. To be isolated. And I'm intrigued by Philip because I keep asking the question, how did Philip become the kind of person who could respond with freedom to the Spirit in the midst of the interruptions that came into his life? Now, you know, if you love film or good stories, you know that writers and screenwriters, they understand the dynamic of an inciting incident. There's always an inciting incident that is strategic and key to a good story. An inciting incident is an episode, a plot point, an event that hooks the reader into the story. Like when it happens, they got you. Like the whole Indiana Jones, you know, story. There's all these inciting incidents that just grip you and pull you in. This particular moment, the inciting incident, is when an event thrusts the protagonist. Now, in this case, it's Philip. But it's also you. It's also me. It thrusts us into the main action of the story. Like it's introduction, and then this event happens, and the story begins to gain steam and interest. Even though the inciting incident may be very difficult for the central actor. So I want you to think about your inciting incidents in your life. The things that have come your way that you did not expect, maybe you didn't even want, but they happened. Now you might feel like you're on a desert road going south. So I'm going to look at three scenes in this film about Philip in Acts. Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter and we'll skip chapter 7. In fact, there are so many sermons to be preached around Philip's life and what was happening, and please hold me accountable. I'm not going to do any of them, all right? I'm just going to leave them aside because these thoughts keep coming in my head of things I want to say, like what I'm doing right now. Stop. Keep to the main point. So you may have questions. Well, how did that happen? What does that mean? It's okay. We're not going to talk about them now, even though we want to. We'll talk about it later. So the first scene 
is the choosing of the seven. It's in Acts chapter 6. And the context in Acts chapter 6, the church is brand new. It's young. There's people coming to Jesus right and left. It's growing. There's baptisms. Everyone is excited. They're just having so much fun. And then we get this problem. Verse 1, chapter 6, in those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, like it was, there was momentum, it was happening. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Now, the Hellenistic Jews were Jewish people that had left Israel. They'd gone into neighboring countries, they spoke Greek, they, they kind of assimilated into the Greek culture, but they still followed God. Different culture, different language, maybe even different sort of ethnic background. And then you have the Hebraic Jews. Those were the Jews that stayed in Jerusalem, and they spoke Hebrew. And, uh, of course, we, we can't identify at all or relate to some racial conflict or cultural disagreements. You know, I mean, we don't have any of that happening in our world today where we just all get along with each other. There's no unrest. There's no favoritism. But it was happening here in the early church between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. And here, here was the deal. The deal was is that the Hellenistic Jews, their widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. There was a problem that the church had to solve. And so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known or who have a reputation, a good reputation. They're known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to the prayer to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, Philip is one of those seven. And these people were people that had to have great character. They had grown to the point where their character was sound. They could be trusted. They had a good reputation. And they were also full of the Holy Spirit. He was alive in them. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit kind of operated in and through them in their life, and they had great wisdom. In other words, these seven who were appointed by the apostles to solve the problem in the church were responsible servant leaders. They're the kind of people you said, yeah, let them do it. They can get this done. They can help out. So everything's fantastic. Verse 7 of chapter 6. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. It was going so well. And then we come to scene two in Philip's film. And scene two, we're going to skip over six and seven, but you can read, you can read the, the story of Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven also. He was a buddy of Philip. And he began to declare Jesus in a way that really riled up the same religious Jewish leaders that had executed Jesus. And so they put him on trial, and in the end, they stoned him to death. Stephen was the first martyr in the early church. Now, that's an inciting incident. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. And then if you notice in verse 1 of chapter 8, on that day, 
a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, and godly men buried Stephen. We could call this the great persecution, this inciting incident, this interruption in the life of the early church. The, the great disruption, the great interruption, if you will. Like, wait a minute, God, things were going so great, and now Stephen has been executed, and everybody, like a bomb, explodes, and everyone is scattered and has to leave their home. They're displaced. It says in verse 4 of chapter 8, those who had been scattered preached the word. They told the story of Jesus wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. They told the story of Jesus wherever they were. Sometimes the scattering, the interruption, it, 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 it comes about because, well, frankly, there are enemies. There are people that don't want us to thrive. There are, there are people in opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he is, he, Jesus is an inciting incident in our lives. Jesus will interrupt your life. There is an enemy that is after us. And sometimes the circumstances that come our way, the interruptions, they flat out are the enemy trying to ruin your life. Now, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We have hope the resurrection has conquered sin, death, and the devil. But he's on a long leash. There is an enemy. Now, we can't blame everything that happens to us on that enemy. But I do want to say that our lives and the opportunities before us are sometimes paused by the interruptions. But they're never ultimately stopped, or rarely. Rarely are they stopped. So Philip went down to Samaria. I, I wonder sometimes about this persecution. This first real persecution the early church had undergone. And, and, and I, I wonder... Where was God, or, or was God somehow involved in this persecution? And if you know the story of Acts, you know that in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus was with those original disciples, and they're asking him, you know, what is going on? When are you going to launch your kingdom, inaugurate it? When are you going to come back? And Jesus said, okay, don't, you know, don't worry about all those things. But he does say this in verse 8 of chapter 1. Jesus says, to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will. That's like a promise, a prediction. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's interesting that Philip was blown by the Spirit into Samaria. And maybe God was involved in the persecution somehow. This is a mystery we can't fully understand, except for the fact that maybe the Christians had grown really comfortable in their little bubble in Jerusalem with their Christian club, and it was growing and going well, and they were happy. No problems. And Jesus has said, you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. So you're comfortable. I don't know. It's just a thought that maybe somehow God was involved 
in this scattering. He talks about this rushing, this sweeping, this pushing wind of the Spirit that is so ethereal, and sometimes it's difficult for us to understand. But the Holy Spirit is a power, a spirit, same word for wind, for breath, and he's blowing. He's hovering over the void like Genesis 1. We may be on a desert road going south. We may not understand all the ins and outs of the story of our life, but the Holy Spirit is here. He's aware. He's present. And he's blowing. You know, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John 3, and Nicodemus was confused about all that Jesus was saying and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. Did you get that? The Holy Spirit wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And one of my favorite films for a variety of reasons that you may not necessarily understand is the film Chocolat. And if you've seen Chocolat, you know that Vianne is the, the, the protagonist, right? And she gets blown into an ancient French village by the north wind. And that wind continues to blow and to, to ruffle her life and other people's lives. And there's a compelling nature to it that she feels like she must move with the wind. Philip is like that. Philip is the end. Philip is, is, is one who is sensitive to and listening and uh, and willing to be blown by the power of the Holy Spirit that blows wherever it pleases. You know, it's easy to tell God our script. Like, God, I've written the script of my life. Here's what it's supposed to look like. I went to college. My major. Going to get a good career, the career of my choice. I'm going to move up in that career. I'm eventually going to own my own business. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have some lovely children that are going to grow up and really make everyone think I'm so good because of the way my children act and behave and look and accomplish. And then something happens. This week I threw out a, a question on my social media, and I just, I just asked the question, okay? You know, th think back. Um, is your life like exactly the way you dreamed it would be when you were 20 years old? And I got lots of DMs. I got a lot of feedback. Heck no. No, my life has not turned out the way I thought it would when I was young. Um, there wasn't necessarily bitterness, but there was definitely an affirmation that, yeah, I thought it was going to turn out this way, and it didn't. And if you're under 20, um, welcome to the real world. And it's going to be a wonderful adventure with all sorts of fun surprises that will make you a better person. But when we tell God our script and we expect God to serve us and fulfill our script, I want to tell you, you are in for some deep disappointment. And I want to suggest that a lot of people I talk to that are angry at God and don't believe in God, 
They had a script, and they're really mad at God because God didn't fulfill their script. And friends, that's not the way life works. It's not the setup. It's not how the Holy Spirit operates. So chapter 8, verse 5, Philip goes down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah there. He told them all about Jesus, and there was amazing things happening as a result of his words. Now, going to Samaria for Philip took a tremendous amount of courage. Uh, Samaria was a place between the, the, the north and the south in Israel, and there was, you know, years and years of animosity that had built up between the Samaritans and the Jews, and and uh, sort of a rival religion and rival temple, and, and they just didn't get along at all. In fact, the Jews and Samaritans, they did not relate to one another. And Philip, blown by the wind of the Spirit, goes to Samaria and introduces them to Jesus. And we don't know that much about Philip. Maybe he's in the back row. He's not one of those front row Christians we always think about and talk about. But Philip is a key architect in the early church. Like, he is so significant because Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the ends of the world. And Philip is the guy who is helping to make that happen because of his willingness to surrender his life to what God was doing with him. And it was great in Samaria. Lives were being changed. And then the wind begins to blow again. And we go to the third scene. And I want to go back to Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, the eunuch was a black man from Africa. To the ends of the earth, the Spirit said through Jesus. So all of a sudden, he's going from this very difficult place in Samaria. Now he's on this desert road going south to Gaza to meet up with an Ethiopian that is going to head out of Israel onto the continent of Africa, into the upper Egypt Nile area. The angel said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a 60-mile road that leads out of Jerusalem all the way down to the southern coast to the city of Gaza. And of course, Gaza brings up all sorts of images and, and, and stories in our mind from recent news. So Philip's had a number of inciting incidents in his life. The first one, there was a problem in the church, and Philip finds himself waiting tables, which was a really important role for him to play. The next inciting incident is persecution in the church. Persecution of the church. And now he finds himself serving Samaritans. Now in this third story... The inciting incident is an angel says, get on a desert road and go south. And he's like, really? Like everything's been going so great. I mean, there's all this fruit. And now you're telling me to go into the wilderness. Just go south on this road. And desert can mean sand and scrub, but it also means without human habitation. In other words, 
The Holy Spirit says, Philip, I want you to leave all the people. I want you to go be isolated. I want you to go be by yourself in the desert. And for many of us, and you know my story, the pandemic has been incredibly isolating. And I'm so grateful that we're coming out of this, that, you know, there's just this longing. There's, there's this energized hope of being together and going to movies and the theater and baseball games and hugging each other and taking the masks off. I mean, it's just, it just feels so right. It feels so good. It feels so hopeful. But Philip is in a season, go on the road, the desert road and go south. Now, th this is a long title, but I just want to just highlight a recent research project that's instructive for us today in Philip's life. And it's about what we call uh, social capital. Social capital is the, the number of friends you have in your life that you can tap into when you need them. So the Impact Genome Project and the AP Nork Center for Public Affairs Research did a major study in America in um, the last few months. They wanted to know how is social capital, which has been decreasing in the United States for the last 30 years, for all sorts of reasons. We're more isolated from one another than, than ever, even though we have more ways to connect than ever. They wanted to see if the pandemic was uh, negatively impacting social capital in Americans' lives. And just simply, they discovered that 18% of Americans, or 46 million adults, have just one or no trustworthy person they can approach for help, like a ride to the airport, emotional support, assistance when sick, or watching a child in an emergency. It's a serious issue today. And we live in a, in, a, in a very social, I mean, the, the river, a, a hopelessly, helplessly relational church. My friends, it's easy behind our good looks to hide the fact that we're lonely. I spent a year very, very lonely. And you reached out and you helped. But there are people behind closed doors who are coming out of the pandemic have felt very isolated. And if they're honest and they think about their social capital in their life, they might be part of the 18% that look around and say, you know, if I had to call someone at midnight to help me out, who could I call? And that's a telling reality. Who could you call at midnight? and say, I got a problem, I need some help. So for Philip, I think this is not just a scattering by the bomb that, you know, persecution landed in the church and sent them all. This, this was the voice of God that said, Philip, go into the wilderness. This was the spirit of God leading and guiding him. So at times, Discernment has to come our way to hear that small voice of God in prayer, in solitude, like Philip, in trust, in obedience, following the prompting of the Spirit, and, and, and built on the foundation of the character 
that he has already established in our lives, in our journey so far. So sometimes the question with the interruptions is not why. Why, God? It's really, it's where. Where are you pushing me to go, God? And so, verse 27, he started out. Sometimes that's just what you do. God prompts you. He sends you down this road. I want to tell you, I did not want to travel the road alone after Cynthia died. It's the worst experience of my life. And I just determined, because I didn't know what else to do, I just determined I'm going to get up early, and sometimes it was really early because I just couldn't sleep. I'd go meet with Jesus, and then I would just do the next right thing. I think sometimes that's, that's all that we have to do in crisis, in an interruption, is just get up, meet with Jesus, and do the next right thing. And that's got me to be here with you today. And it's better. And I'm not bitter. The Spirit leads. So the Ethiopian eunuch, he was a really important official. In some ways, sometimes when God takes us down the wilderness road, there are divine appointments waiting for us. And this guy was a divine appointment for Philip. And in verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Literally, stay glued to the chariot. Now, this is a little creepy, okay? Here's Philip, you know, stay near the chariot. And it's moving along, and he's kind of jogging along near the chariot. And, you know, they wonder, who is this guy, you know, like stalking us down the, the desert road? And where did you come from? But Philip did it. He stayed near the chariot, and he heard the eunuch reading from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, like the center of the book of Isaiah, this amazing chapter, one of the most dynamic, beautiful chapters in all of the Bible. And he's reading it and he's puzzled. Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? No, I don't understand it unless someone can explain this to me. He invited Philip, this divine appointment, into the chariot And verse 35, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. A divine appointment with an incredibly important official from the continent of Africa. Tradition tells us the church in Ethiopia was launched, incredibly influential church in Ethiopia from this encounter. They come upon some water, and the eunuch says, hey, there's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing. Did you bring your board shorts? Well, no, I have a robe on. That's okay. They go down, and Philip baptizes the eunuch. And then notice what it says, verse 39. The spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. Like, are you kidding me? There's going to be this reception with food and drinks after the baptism, you know. And Philip doesn't even get to go to the party. He doesn't get to, to go to the afterglow of this guy's conversion and his baptism. The spirit snatches him away, and the eunuch did not see him anymore. And then he appeared at Azotus, 
And he traveled north through the beach city sharing more good news about Jesus until he reached the resort town on the coast, Caesarea. Like, whoa, where, where are you taking me? Now there's some closing credits. You know, in a film, you hear the story, you see the, all the drama in this guy's life, and then, you know, they kind of move on. But you want to find out what happened to the characters in the film 20 years later. Well, that's what Luke does here. In Acts chapter 21, 20 years later, after this little snippet in Philip's life, these three scenes, we see in the closing credits that Paul, the apostle, stayed at Philip's house. Philip the evangelist, it says, who was one of the seven. And then it adds this little interesting tidbit. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Like, why is that there? But here's Philip now, having had his life blown about by the Spirit, he ends up settling down in Caesarea. He has a ministry of evangelism. He has four, you know, dynamic, prophetic daughters. I don't know what that looks like. That must have been wild. And he's in this beautiful coastal city, living out his days in peace and quiet. So, I just, I basically have two things that I think you've picked up from this. One, I want to suggest that we need to get alone. And you probably don't like that because we don't want to be alone. <laughs> but at times we need to be alone. We need to journal. We need to pray. We need to be in silence and solitude and just say, Holy Spirit, speak in my life. Help me to make sense. Help me to make sense of what's happening in our world in my life. And we say, well, I, 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 just, I, I can't hear God speak. Um, the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. And I think maybe we could say, be still so that you can know that he is God. And sometimes we say, I, you know, I, I just can't hear God. Well, maybe we need to get a little more. Maybe we need a little, uh, some, some places in our life where we're just quiet and then secondly, I want to say get connected. Not only for yourself, because what we need to do as a church is we need to increase the number of people who can be called at midnight for help. And it means we need to open up our lives. We need to, to reach out. We need to meet people. In fact, I'd like to do something right now. This is not popcorn like last week. I promise you, Brooke, that was brilliant. But I know some therapy appointments were reestablished and anxiety uh, because of, of this brilliant. And we just talked about it all week, how fun that was. But it made people really nervous, didn't it? We're not going to do popcorn this morning, maybe next week. But what I want to invite you to do, and for those of you at home, um, I'm sorry. I wish you were here. Um, I'd like you just to stand up and introduce somebody else here in this small crowd. Uh, someone that you've met. Last week, um, this morning, a month ago, six months ago, just so that we can learn each other's names. And so you're not required to do anything. Just stand up and say, I'd like to introduce you to, and it could be anyone around here, and uh, say their name. And that person, if you would just stand up so we can say hi, and we'll learn a little bit more about each other. Is that cool? I think it'll be fun. You say their name, I'll repeat it so that the people at home can hear it too. So, yes, Amanda, stand up.
Um, how did you hear about the river? Oh, I said I wasn't going to do that. How did you hear about the river? The Holmes family. We love them. Okay, Amanda, thank you. Welcome. Anyone else? Yes, please. Christina. Christina Jespers, welcome. We're glad you're here. Are you relatively new to the river? Yeah. Well, we're really glad you're here. Welcome. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yes, David in the back. That's Emily. David Gebner just introduced Emily. Hi, Emily. Emily, what do you do for work? Yes. You're my hero. I love it. Good. Welcome. Uh, wh when are you getting married? I love it. So cool. Someone else? Casey? John, did you say John? John. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Yeah, good to have you here. Brookster. Emily and John. John, can you stand up with your baby? You know the homes, too. I love it. Do you know Amanda? Yeah, you do now. Well, welcome, you guys. So glad you're here. And what's your baby's name? Christian. <laughs> you are not rookie parents. You're, you're veterans. Anyone else? I think the worship team's coming up. Please stand up. Dante Hans and Dante. And Hans is related to someone on staff at the river. Luke, Luke, thank you. Dante, nice to have you here. Anyone else? Last one? It's fun to get to know each other. Barbara. Barbara met Ellie and Scott. Great. Good to have you here. It's so great. Well, our worship team is going to lead us. Um, thank you, you know, for, for just opening yourself up and for meeting each other so that we can come to the river and know that we don't have to be alone. And for those of you at home watching online, um, you may be there for convenience, um, but just know that we have a seat for you. We're really excited for you to come back and, um, and, and be connected. So, Amanda, will you lead us? stand together as we worship Jesus we thank you that you made us to be in community that you made us to be known you didn't make us to do this life on our own but that you give us marvelous comrades companions champions in our faith journey so Lord would you lead us and guide us in that 
sing this together. You call me out upon the water. Spirit. 
truth that reigns in our lives. So go. 
that's the promise this morning, Jesus. So thank you that you are with us, that you are closer than a friend, closer than a brother. Lord, we just wait with you just for one more minute, just to thank you for your goodness, thank you for your nearness. We just fix our hearts on you this morning. Let it be with us as we go throughout the day, throughout the week, Lord. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for worshiping with us. My guitar string broke in the middle of the song, so we went with it. But bless you guys. Have a great day. See you this week at some group or dinner, and if not, we'll see you on Sunday. Bless everyone who watched online. Can't wait to see you in person again. Bye, guys.